Welcome to the Newfoundland Beer Podcast. I'm Natalie Dignam. Today I'm chatting with Nardia McGrath, a brewer at Yellow Belly Brewing in St. John's. Nardia recently did a Q&A on her Instagram account, and we're going to talk about her favorite questions. Welcome to the show, Nardia. Thanks, Nat. And I should mention that, yeah, we're doing this interview uh, over the phone because, obviously, social distancing, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I thought it was really cool that you did, like, a little brewer Q&A on your Instagram, and so have you still been brewing throughout this? Um, I've probably only done two brews since the kind of social distancing started. Yeah. Being very slow. Just with, like, Newfoundland regulations, it's made it a bit harder for us to sell beer, so, um. Obviously, production's slowed down while we get our bottling up and running, and we're still going to try and find a way to get bottling like out to the people because mm-hmm. like our takeaway is kind of shut down at the moment. Yeah, because like unlike a lot of places uh, in other parts of Canada and in the states, like we're not doing um, like home delivery. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, let's dive into some questions. What are some good questions you got from people? Um, usually people just want to know more about like what I like in beer instead of the actual homebrewing questions. So I guess like my favorite question to answer is usually you know, my favorite style of beer and why. Um, my favorite style kind of varies depending on the day, but it's usually like a um, saison or a uh, Nipah, so it's whether I'm looking for hops or a lot of esters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a different favorite style to brew that's different than your favorite style to drink? Uh, <clears throat> I like brewing Belgian-style beers, so like Saison's up there, definitely. I'd have to say um, my one of my least favorite styles of beer to brew are IPAs just because there's a lot more involved with it in terms of the hopping regime. And when it comes to cleaning out the tanks, it's like a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, I'm a home brewer and we have a very uh, basic setup, which is like the glass carbo- carboy and like that kind of thing. And oh my yeah. God, getting the hops out of a glass carboy. I was like, <laughs> when we bought it and we like had our whole setup, I was like, hasn't anyone thought of a better way? Like, why <laughs> Why does it have such a small hole at the top? Like, why is it like this? Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same with, like, uh, tanks. It's a small hole down the bottom, and once it's been crashed and it's at um, 30 degrees Fahrenheit, it, it's pretty solid, and so trying to get it out it takes a bit of pressure behind it, and God help you if, like, the hose kicks out from the drain when <laughs> it lets off. So do you homebrew as well as, like, obviously you brew at Yellow Belly? Um, I really haven't homebrewed for a couple of years now just because my life is brewing. So um, I'm lucky enough that I get to experiment with brews at work and, like, uh, you know, see what different yeast strains do and what different hop flavors come through, which is what I would be doing with homebrewing. But, um yeah, it's just, it's so, like, I have a lot of respect for home brewers because it, it's more hands-on and it's definitely, there's things that I get to do with, like, uh, commercial equipment 
that makes things so much easier for me. And then when you get to like home brewing, it's like so messy and like time consuming. It's kind of like, oh, God damn, it takes just as long to do a 20 liter batch as it does, you know, a thousand liter batch. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like kind of what are things that having like an industrial setup lets you do that you would be like uh, intimidated to do as a home brewer? For us, it's sours. We really want to brew a sour, but just that you have to go through like a lot of like sanitation to get it right. I'm like nervous about it. Yeah, I mean, it depends what kind of thing you. The sour. Just when and you like sour beers, then obviously like kettle souring is a safe way to go about it. Um, you can control the pH of what you go down to, so. You can make it so that it doesn't go below 3.5 and that way your yeast isn't going to struggle when you finally pitch it. And then when you're boiling off, that's like your finish point of the bacteria. So then when you like transfer over to something else, that bacteria is dead and done with, like it's sanitized. So you don't have to worry about going on and passing on to different beers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so- if you're looking for like more complex flavors from the sour and um, and maybe even blending down the track, then yeah, you're probably gonna have to just amp up your sanitation. <laughs> yeah, and I find that really hard because we're I don't know, like we'll like brew out on the porch and the dogs out and we're just like having a time. But yeah. <laughs> That's not the best I condition. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about that. It, a little bit of wild yeast might get in there, but um, usually, like brewers' yeasts and you know lactobacillus that can that can outpower a little bit of wild yeast, you wouldn't pick up on it for sure. But um, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about the dog being around. It's just basically like um, you handling things, and if you've if you've using um all grain that dust is on you and then you're touching other things like that dust is one of your best breeding grounds for bacteria to get into beer oh really i never thought of that so just wash your hands yeah. everyone <laughs> as we've been hearing yeah make sure <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> the bacteria that infects Beer is obviously after that kind of sugar, and that sugar is still on your malt dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you get any good questions about like the brewing process? I guess like some people were just a little more interested in like the technical part of things, like fermentation temperatures, um, different flavors, what that could be. It can be hard for home brewers sometimes to like figure out where these flavors are coming from mm-hmm. um okay so yeah what were we talking about oh like like some like technical brewing questions did you get any really yeah. interesting ones for that uh no not like overly technical um yeah just like i was saying about off flavors some people want to know where certain off flavors are coming from which can be a little bit difficult when you can't taste it yourself so you mm-hmm. kind of like well it could be infection it could be like your bottling processes it could be oxidization like because sometimes the way people describe off flavors aren't how you would describe an off flavor do you know what I mean yeah and this is the hardest thing to me about the uh 
I haven't taken the Cicerone test. I know a lot of people in the beer industry have. Um, mm. It's just that, like, it's like everyone's taste buds are different. When we were doing, like, um, so I was a beer judge for the Australian International Beer Awards before I left to come to Canada. And um, they kind of, when you first sit down and start judging, they calibrate everyone's taste buds. Like, they want to see how different your tasting is <laughs> so they can figure out which way to like kind of mark things down when they review the, the judging process, if that makes sense. If some people are like completely skewed, like having different flavor to everybody else, then they might be like, well, it seems like you don't, you can't really pick up on DMS. So we might move you out of this category into something else. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't even know. So how did they how did they test that? So they give you all the same beer. Um, it's literally just like three different kinds of beer, and then you write down the flavors that you can taste off it and how strong that you would perceive these flavors. And then when they look at it, they're like, okay, well you're getting like a diacetyl of about four and you're getting four and you're getting four and you're getting nine. So you're probably over the top sensitive to diacetyl. So, you know, just be mindful of that when you're judging. That's so cool. And makes so much more sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we're not just there drinking. (laughs) Did you get any other cool questions that you wanted to talk about? A lot of people were asking me, Oh, they got into packaging a lot. A lot of people had questions about um, whether I preferred to drink out of cans or bottles for some reason. Huh, really? Um, so I guess that's like the new, like, what should I be doing? <laughs> and obviously homebrewers aren't canning, but they might be um, more interested in, like, what what the change for the beer would be if they were able to put it into cans. And for me, it's bottles. Like, I prefer bottles um any chance I get except for draft beer like number one is draft beer for me and then it goes bottles and if I have two cans but I'm not a huge fan of canning I don't like working on canning lines and I don't really like drinking out of them yeah they're they're quite finicky yeah (laughs) Um. and they like they're coated in plastic as well so um you know people have to be mindful that with with beer, it does have a pH of around, you know, 5.3. It gets lower once you get into sours, and then that starts kind of eating away at the plastics that line cans. Mm. So I guess the question is, does beer last in bottles longer? That all comes down to the packaging line. So, I mean... If you're purging with CO2, if you're fermenting in bottles, like I find bottle conditioned beers, uh, they kind of take on a new life and, uh, you know, they just become more complex. So they're usually because it's a style of beer that's meant to be um, bottle conditioned, but I find it's a really good way to keep beer. Um, Yeah, I find... I, with like cans, it can be a little bit more oxidized just because the lid takes a lot longer to get onto the can and sealed compared mm. to like a bottling line. If you know, if you're having like a commercial 
style lines, then your bottling line's got to be able to cap it faster. All right. So I have a question for you. Um, What is your favorite part of the brewing process? Like, what is your favorite thing to do? I guess mainly mashing in, I guess, because um, mashing in is one of the first things you kind of learn when you start brewing. Um, And it's it's got like a really distinct smell and the smell of it just brings back memories of, you know, working back at my first brewery and it being like six o'clock in the morning and nobody else is around in the brewery. I've just got the brewery to myself and the smell is really, really strong when you're mashing in with like cereal basically or porridge. Yeah. And, um, and it, yeah, I guess that's just my favorite part because <laughs> no one's around and it's just smelling great. And I haven't gotten really, really tired and hot and sweaty yet. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like as a home brewer, yeah, that's probably my favorite part too. Because it's when, like, when you're home brewing, you, like, let it sit, I guess, a lot yeah. longer. So it, like, soaks up those sugars. So that's when we all, like, have our snack. We always have a snack. We're always, like, making breaks for food when we're home brewing. Yeah. So. Well, the, the first brewery that I worked at, we would, like, uh, mash in and then you would set up for your next, um, for the next thing, which was uh, transferring over to, what were we doing then? Oh, yeah, getting ready to sparge. But we had, like, we didn't have a hot liquor tank. We just had, like, a storage tank. So you'd have to, as soon as you'd finished mashing in, fill up the kettle, get it to your sparge temperature, and then transfer it over to your storage tank just so you could get ready to, like, start sparging and transferring your, um, sorry, I've got brownies in the oven. (laughs) Okay, I'm back. Um, So it was, we had old dairy equipment that had been turned into brewing equipment, so it was a bit more hands-on, a bit more like taking things apart, putting back together. So before you do anything else, you would set up for the next, um, you'd set up for the next bit of the process. That's um, really cool, like, that you guys, like, use the old dairy equipment. Yeah, it was, like, it was pretty cute. It was, like, your old, like, milk vats, but they had put wood cladding all around it to try and make it look authentic, so it was really, really old school. Um, but it was really hands-on. It was, there was, I think there was one button, and that just turned the pump on, and everything else was... Yeah, <laughs> take things apart, put it back together. That's amazing. I went on a tour of a brewery in Massachusetts that had everything automated. Like, it was, like, I haven't seen a setup like it since or before. Um, but, yeah, they, like, not only did they have all, everything on the tanks was tracked, like, via software and would just, like, yeah. automatically transfer things for them. It was incredible. Yeah, there's a lot of... You know, it's getting cheaper for people to actually set things up like that. So, I mean, we've gotten to a point now where craft breweries, and not even like a huge scale, but smaller craft breweries, people can control them from their phones, like from a remote site. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's they exactly what this was. And it wasn't yeah. like a huge brewery. Like, you know, it was yeah, it no. was relatively big for a craft brewery, but it wasn't uh like a big mass, I don't know, it wasn't anything compared to like Sam Adams or anything. Yeah, I was about to say, it's not Sam Adams, but it's, yeah. Yeah. It's like your elegant size, maybe. Yeah, exactly. 
but that was really cool. Um, okay, so I have one more question for you. And it's, are you brewing anything cool or did, have you drank a beer recently that you really liked that you would recommend? Um, I've been dry this month, <laughs> just <laughs> not drank. So the last beer that I had was probably like the lemon myrtle goza that I made for the fire relief that we did. But, um... Prior to that, I was in Australia uh, in January and drinking, like, a lot of sours, a lot of awesome sours coming out at the moment. So, and, like, um, a lot of fresh fruit, I guess, gets to get used in Australia and a lot of fruits that, you know, aren't easily available here. So um, I drank, like, a lot of passion fruit sours. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to see, like, what happens in the next six months because I feel like this year we had so many, like, sours were so big on the island, and I'm I'm very curious to see what's going to happen next. Yeah. Well, I mean, coming up next, there's going to be a lot of aged beers, I think. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Been... Well, just because they have to sit there for so long. Oh, my God, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a little rebranding. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's... But it was it worked out well for Deadly Misses and that we you know Deadly Misses is a a Belgian style beer and it's higher in alcohol around seven percent, um, so it takes a lot more conditioning time for it. It's not a beer that's very forgiving if you try push it out before it's ready. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. I went in there and got it off the hops over the weekend and and it's tasting great. It tastes a lot like pineapple. Uh, so if people are interested in following you and seeing all of your great beer content, would you be open to that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so where can people follow you? Uh, it's Fatal Ales, so F-A-T-A-L dot Ales, A-L-E-S, um, on Instagram. That's where I post most things. Everything else is sporadic. <laughs> yeah I'm the same way it's a lot there's too many platforms yeah well I think you know for Instagram it's like looking at pictures and beer is such a picture-based thing you know you're looking at um, people's branding and what they're doing in the breweries and what their breweries look like so that for me Instagram is a lot better for me Mm -hmm. but um you know Twitter if you want to listen to like what everyone's talking about and different ways that people are doing stuff and discuss things then that's probably like the next forum for me um facebook i don't really use that much except for advertising (laughs) yeah it seems that's kind of what happened has happened with facebook um anyway thank you nardia for coming on and chatting with me and sharing all your beer knowledge oh no it's good to talk to you i've been lonely (laughs) (laughs) i know me too Well, I start drinking again in April, so we'll have, like, a um, a screen chat drink. Yeah, I would love that. And I talked in my last podcast that I've also been taking, like, a very extended break from drinking, too. So, like, yeah, I'll I'll join you for that. I got got back from Australia on the 15th of January, and Snowmageddon hit on the 16th. So I went from just drinking from a month in Australia to being locked in the house and drinking again. So after that, I was just, 
and then my birthday was in February so I was like oh god I just haven't started drinking for a while <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I know I felt the same way like after I did my thesis like I did so many interviews like over pints of beer with people that I was yeah. like after when I walked to graduation I was like I'm just I'm done I can't <laughs> so yeah yeah I've been there all right thanks Nardia Thanks for listening to the Newfoundland Beer Podcast. This podcast is produced in partnership with CHMR 93.5 FM. You can find us on Instagram at NL Beer Podcast. Mm-hmm.